When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and Roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. I'm Sam Shansky, and I'm here in Memphis at our studio headquarters, taking a break from curating playlists for a minute to help introduce our guests today. We'll hear from Woody Platt and Graham Sharp of Steep Canyon Rangers, the Grammy Award-winning outfit behind albums like Nobody Knows You, Out in the Open, and most recently, Arm in Arm, which is available now via Yep Rock Records. They've also collaborated quite a bit with comedian and banjo player Steve Martin on albums like Rare Bird Alert and The Long-Awaited Album. Woody and Graham are joined by Amy Wright, who's got some great questions ready. So let's get to it. Your conversations with the leaders and legends in Americana and Roots music are right here on Insights. So Woody, Graham, welcome to Diddy TV. How are you guys? Fantastic. Glad to be here. Where are you? Where are each of you? I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. So, um, and uh, half the band is here in Asheville, and then half the band lives where Woody is. Yeah, I'm, I'm 35 miles southwest of Asheville in a little town called Brevard, and that's where the rest of the band lives. So we're, we're close enough together when we're working, it's pretty easy to make things happen. I love that area. We've been there many times, and such a great music scene, and uh, beautiful, beautiful countryside, that, and the town of Asheville is so charming, and uh, just, just a great place. Uh, and it sounds like you guys are close enough to get together whenever you need to. It seems like it seems like it should be easier right now, you know, but, um, you know, having been off the road for the first time in 20 years, there's just like there's so much to catch up on. And it's been really wonderful, like getting caught up on stuff. But, uh, you know, on top of that, everything, everything else keeps moving. So uh, we don't see each other quite as much as we like. I know, but we'll, we'll make up for it. We got a pretty stock, good stockpile of hours we spent together so far. <laughs> Well, I have to say, this has been an incredible year for you, despite everything that's gone on. You have a Grammy nomination for North Carolina Songbook, um, and then you put out the album Arm in Arm, and they're both very different albums, but big year and a very prolific year for you guys. That has to be very exciting. It's surprising that we happen to have two records completed. Um, before COVID set in on us. So we were able to stay, to use those records as a way to kind of stay together and stay communicating and give us something to be able to release and look forward to. And I don't think either of us had a, even had our eyes on the Grammys. I called Graham and I said, did you know today was the the Grammy nominations? And neither of us knew. And then our phones started pinging and our emails blew up and it was a, Nice little silver lining during this time period. It is for sure. Uh, and before we kind of get into the two albums, because I think they're both really cool albums and very different albums, I just wanted to back up a second 
and sort of ask you a few questions about the early days of Steep Canyon Rangers. How did you guys get together? You you knew each other before college, or did you just meet during college? I know that you met you were playing together, I guess, at UNC. Yeah, so there was a couple kind of circles that have connected with the Rangers. One was kind of around college and uh, UNC. That's where I met Woody. Um, and then so we so we got together in college, and then shortly thereafter, almost immediately after we started playing together, uh, Mike Gugino. Um, from who Woody had grown up with in Brevard uh, would start coming and playing with us. So we kind of, and then Mike Ashworth, our drummers also grew up with these guys. So um, we were playing all through, all through college, but yeah, we've gradually recruited uh, more people from inside the circle. So Barrett Smith, who plays bass was a great friend of Woody and I's in college um, as well. So we've sort of got that side of the loop. And then, and then we've got Nikki, the fiddler, who's just kind of a, a roving electron. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, the core of this thing really just started as a little jam session in Chapel Hill, Graham and I and our original bass player. But he's right, it's this really interesting overlap of circles, and, and there's so much history between the two. It's, it's a brotherhood. When you got together, were you playing bluegrass music right off the bat? You didn't necessarily grow up playing bluegrass, did you, or did you? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> so how did that come about? You just sat around and said? You know, we were in similar uh, in similar uh, kind of circles of friends, and, we, you know, we were just buddies, but we had these common interests and, you know, had a banjo, had a guitar, had a bass. And uh, really just kind of we're falling in love with the music of Doc Watson and, um, you know, lots of different people like that kind of at the same time. So um, it really just came about naturally, just kind of the way that's what we like to do and we'd hang out, you know, um, and it kind of still is. So you form the band and you get out of school and you think we're going to be professional musicians or what was your thought process there? <laughs> we, we, we went for it. You know, we we had had such, so much fun playing the music, right? The last year or so of college that I don't think that, I don't think it was a question in anybody's mind that we were just going to graduate and hang it up. Um, so we stayed in Chapel Hill an extra year and kept, you know, playing the local music scene. And then we all moved to Asheville and lived in one house together. <laughs> and that was, it was just sort of like an intensive, bluegrass band camp house of God <laughs> and every morning you could hear everybody in their own rooms rehearsing and then it was sort of culminate to maybe a songwriting session with Graham in the living room and that's just what we did and we were young enough to if we could make rent you know it wasn't there wasn't a huge burden of of money it was just really about the music and and we did it and we would jump in the van on Friday and throw the PA in the back and go to whatever bar or club would have us. And the joy was there and the fun was there and the friendship was there and things sort of fell in place. They obviously fell in place because very quickly you guys were, uh, even as early as I guess 2006, Emerging Artists of the Year at the International Bluegrass Music Association. So you guys were getting recognition kind of out of the gate, which is really hard to do in this business. 
had to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it was amazing. It was amazing in, in bluegrass. I, I know it's like this in some other you know genres of music, but I was really just struck with like how quickly you can and you can kind of meet your heroes and and how I don't know there were people who just took us in from early on like uh, you name it like people in the local community in North Carolina like Russell Johnson and and uh, Al Batten and people like that all the way to like Del McCurry and um, you know um, anybody you know are people who are our heroes so um, you know I feel like we were just working so hard to emulate them I mean we would sit around and try to, to emulate these people in these bands. I mean, note from note, lick for lick, and Woody can attest to that. So um, it was a labor of love, but I mean, we put in, we must've put in, you know, 100,000 hours playing music together um, there in those first few years. Yeah, and, and, and to speak, sorry, to speak to that just a little bit more, the, the bluegrass community was, was a community that we, could, that we could understand and we could target, and, and we really wanted to be accepted there but it also gave us like obvious goals and obvious um, certain festivals that we wanted to get booked on and certain people we wanted to meet and the type of record we wanted to make and the type of record label that we wanted to be on because that was what was in that bluegrass community. And that was a lot, a lot of, I think a lot of bands sort of are out kind of so free and don't know exactly what the direction is and what the goal is. And for us, it was cool to have this obvious focus at an early time. It's a very good point, that sense of community in bluegrass. I've heard it over and over again, that they take you in and build you up, and they really want to have you be successful, which isn't the same in all genres of music. There's a lot of competition out there. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, yeah, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but I mean, I'm even being struck like the first time we were in jam sessions, you know, at the local festivals, um, you know, whether they're helping you professionally or if it's just, it feels like it's all just kind of an extension of that, just sitting around playing songs together really informally. And that's kind of, um, you know, from the very first moments in bluegrass, that's, that struck me as something special about it. So let's fast forward to 2009 and uh, you guys hooked up with Steve Martin somehow. And um, you still play with him here and there. And how did that come about? Because uh, that's not an obvious, an obvious hookup if you would, <laughs> when you're looking at that. And so I was wondering how you guys actually met. Well, you know, you always think you're going to get a break in the music business. So you, want, <laughs> you want a break, and you can think of a million ways to get a big opportunity. And we didn't see ours coming in the form of a banjo playing comedian, um, but it did. And uh, we met Steve. We knew Steve's wife. We had met Steve's wife years before and become friends with Steve's wife before she was Steve's wife. So then she called us one day and was vacationing in Western North Carolina and said, Steve's, my, I'm dating Steve Martin and he's in town and he wants to play some bluegrass. And so a couple of us rode over and had a real informal jam session with Steve. Um, and I thought that was all it would be, you know, a little jam and a couple pictures and, you know, we got to pick with Steve Martin. And then literally about two weeks later, he called and he's never stopped calling since. We've been, we've been, the Rangers have been side by side with him ever since. He called and said he loved it and wanted to do more. And, and eventually we started recording and touring together. I read that after you guys hooked up, he said, let's go on an international bluegrass tour. 
and immediately you were playing in Carnegie Hall and all sorts of big venues. What was that like to just sort of be all of a sudden on this massive big stage? Well, you try to play it cool, but it can be hard on some of the big stages. But the catering is fantastic. And I mean, man, and I mean, but yeah, I mean, in reality, I mean, you know, we've been we've been working away these these bluegrass festivals and, and playing, you know, great, great shows and, and being really thrilled, but just kind of having our circuit what we do. And then you walk out in some of these opera houses and stuff like that. And it's just I mean, it's 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 overwhelming, but it's also, you know, it makes you really want to hunker down and, and, and do your best as well. So I think I think we got a lot of comfort in those situations early on just from Steve. And, um, you know, he was nervous about it starting out, too. He didn't know it was, what it was going to be. Um, but we've really kind of over the years grown really comfortable um, to maybe doing stuff and taking chances and things that we wouldn't have done before early on. Let's talk a little bit about the um, North Carolina Songbook. What was the idea behind the album and uh, sort of, I know it's an homage to a lot of the greats from North Carolina, but uh, what were your thoughts there? I don't know. It just seemed like, do you you remember? I mean, I don't, it just seemed like a kind of a, kind of a pie in the sky idea for a while there. I can, I can speak to it a little bit. I'm going to give Graham, Graham most of the credit here, but I'll speak to it. We, I remember we were about to fly out from the Asheville airport and Graham got out of the car and we just got in our Merle Fest booking and we Merle Fest is an incredible Americana bluegrass festival in North Carolina that it, it's, it's the one to play. And Graham's got out of the car and said, we've played Merle Fest every year for the last 10 years on that Watson stage. Let's do something different. Like, let's just do something different. Why don't we do this? And he had this idea maybe you and your wife had cooked up the idea about a North Carolina tribute. And, you know, so I sort of thought, oh, God, can we just go up there and play our <laughs> show? <laughs> but it was a brilliant idea. And, um, and we sort of ran with it, and the pieces just fell in place, you know, because we knew the production company, and we knew a guy who was going to have an audio truck there doing a recording on another stage. And, and just with a few calls, we did it ourselves. We, we rounded up um, the whole thing, and, and Graham – sort of led the ship on selecting the tunes. I mean, everybody had input, but I think he was probably the most vocal on how the selecting the tunes. And we went out on stage in front of 20, 30, 40,000 people and played these songs for the first time and the last time. <laughs> and, and we made a record. And it was affordable and exciting and thrilling and all kinds of unique things for this band. We've never really truly captured our live show. And we did a, had a multi-camera shoot of the show, and we used the jumbotrons to drop in pictures of the artists during the songs that we were paying tribute to. So it was just a, it was a all hands on deck, really fun, sixty-five minutes of music. Yeah, and uh, and we haven't most of the songs. We, I don't know if we'll ever do them again. But yeah. it was a lot of it was it was intensive and came off well. Yeah, it was it was amazing how like everybody, you know, so many people were like jumping on board with it, whether it was like coordinating the recording of it and the and the videotaping of it or coordinating, you know, people were making spreadsheets or all these spreadsheets and like workflow documents and stuff like that about how we were going to do it. And uh, 
and you know, like the governor introduced us, and we had our original fiddler from UNC days, Elizabeth Bonson, like come join us and play with one of her students and play triple fiddle. I mean, Ashworth, the drummer, played the dobro on stage for the very first time in his life. <laughs> and we recorded it and it made her, and uh, it's nominated for a Grammy. It's just a trip. That's probably the easiest way to make an album ever. Uh, you know, yeah. normally everyone has all this angst that goes into the studio and uh, just to kind of knock it out live. And, and then, of course, getting a Grammy nomination for it, that's got to be uh, incredible. How did you actually choose the artist or the songs for the album? Um, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, there were some obvious, there's definitely some obvious people that we wanted in there, you know, for, especially within our genre, Doc Watson, when we're on the Watson stage, Earl Scruggs, um, and then, you know, kind of going back in that vein. But also, I mean, you know, you're in North Carolina and you want some blues and I mean, so many jazz artists from North Carolina, you know, from like Coltrane to Nina Simone to Thelonious Monk. So we settled on a, a Thelonious Monk tune that uh, Mike Gino, our mandolin player, brought, and it worked perfectly. That sounds uh, like the one row. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, that was really fun. I mean, that was that was a really fun part of it. I thought like bringing the tunes and figuring out who was going to do what and, and really putting them together. And one other thing we did in the performance, which was atypical of our show was we, it, we each member took a song or two and we gave a little bit of history about where the who the songwriter was where they're from and a little bit about their career or a small story about their life and so that it sort of had this history lesson involved with it in the set and I, I enjoyed the challenge of that and I think each one of them came off well and probably taught the audience something they might not have done I learned something yeah, <laughs> me too. Well, and then you're reimagining songs that everybody might know, but then they're going to hear a completely different version of it. And so that has to be kind of fun, too, for the audience, and, and, but for you guys as well. You can take, have your own spin on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was cool because, you know, a lot of these tunes are songs that people, you know, everybody, including the band, have heard forever. But then to take something like that and filter it through the band – you know, there's an old uh, Tommy fiddle tune that we do on there called the Drunkard Hiccups. And, you know, it's this really scratchy kind of old, wonderful fiddle tune. And we sort of repositioned it as kind of a, I don't know, it's something like Levon Helm might have played in his later years, just kind of a sort of a big stomp beat like that. And, um, so, I mean, it really is, I mean, such a joy to take these tunes and, and, and turn the band loose on them and, and see what everybody can do because they're um, – you know, it's it's a very different thing from what we usually do, which is writing the songs and, and you having to put the songs together. It's just like the songs are there. They're great songs. What can you do with them, you know? Well, you might have to bone up because with a Grammy nomination, they may want you to play these songs again. You never know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Time for band, band practice. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's talk Arm in Arm, too, because another great album. And what I love about this album is that it takes you a little bit away from your bluegrass roots and brings in elements of other music. And a lot of people don't think about musicians liking every other genre, but you guys grew up with everything that everybody else was listening to, I'm assuming. And this is maybe full circle for you guys to explore some other music and bringing in your own elements at, this, at the same time. 
there's so many, there's this, this band, when I met Graham and grew up with Mike and met original band members, nobody was really bluegrass aficionados. Everybody had all kinds of musical interests. Graham played the saxophone. You know, I sang in the boys choir and played the baritone and our mandolin player played the saxophone and electric guitar, you know, so there's just so much interest there. And I think over the years after we sort of went back to the bluegrass route and really stayed there for a long time, I think over time we just got comfortable with who we are and what we want to do. And, and, and we followed these songs, Graham's writing all these great songs and realized that we weren't bound by any, box or genre and just at some point just just being honest to ourselves and the music we want to make and that took a little confidence um because you are going to alienate some of the traditional bluegrass audience but at the same time it 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 has been very rewarding both from a musical standpoint and from just sort of a, a band expansion standpoint and in the middle of all that we added a drummer who's multi can play multi instruments, multi talented and we added a bass player who had, brings a new voice to the band, both with his instrument and he's a good singer. So we sort of came to the studio with more tools than we've ever had in the past and um, a really great collection of songs. So arm in arm is what we came up with. And we had a lot of fun in the studio and there was a time when we were looking at the playback monitor and there's, a piano player, a, a drummer, and a bass player with four hands on the piano arguing about how this piano part's going to go. And I'm thinking to myself, aren't we just a bluegrass band? <laughs> you know, just watching this go down, it was, it was so fun and free. And I think we felt as unbound in the studio as we ever have. Were these songs new songs or had you been writing them all along and you just decided I have enough of this music that isn't strictly bluegrass to put together an album. Um, it's a collection of songs over the last, more or less the last two years, I guess, you know, it, it, kind of the, the cycle is, is, uh, you know, record an album and start writing a next one. Um, so the majority of them were that, but you know, a few of them were much older, some maybe seven, six or seven years older that just kind of have been bouncing around, I guess, sort of the collective memory of the band. And, um, you know, the time was right for them and we pulled them up. So, you know, I, I, I did more co-writing on this record than I've done a lot in the past. I guess maybe eight or nine of them I, I've written with other people, including some folks in the band. And um, so, But, you know, you get in there and this studio was just, it was a beautiful studio in Nashville and the, the engineer is a fellow that uh, we'd worked with before named Brandon Bell. And uh, there was just so many toys in there. And I think, you know, part of the, part of the challenge is to, is to figure out when you want to use everything and turn on everything. And when you just want to use very little and just, you know, have a, have a song with just a voice and, and a guitar or two. So um, as our first album, we produced ourselves, um, I feel like we didn't totally uh, overstuff it and uh, <laughs> uh, overindulge, but it was tempting. Well, when you're in a great studio, what studio was that? Called Southern Ground. So it was. It used to be Zach Brown's studio there in Nashville, and uh, just a beautiful spot. Well, there are a lot of bells and whistles in the studio, and I'm sure it's tempting to add in 
keep adding in things um, and a lot of fun sometimes too when you have access to all of that. Was it refreshing to play a, just a different style of music and maybe a little bit uh, um, s- sort of taking you out of w- out of the norm and maybe a little more challenging? It's hard to say if it's a different style. I feel like we gradually we were gradually going that way for so long, and we've had played 175 shows since our the record before. So it felt like we were just doing what we do. Um, you know, when you when you look at it over time, it there's never a, a quick change. It's just sort of such a gradual motion the way this band evolves that it felt like we were right where we should be and that we weren't making a big adjustment. Um, if anything, we just had it, like Graham said, we just had a few more toys in there to play with. Um, but all of the songs that on the record would work with a bare bones band set up. You know, we, we had, we layer, we built some of them up, but we've since then we've done them all with very primitive setup and, and they still sort of sound like the Steve Canyon Rangers. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I feel it feels comfortable, I think, to us. I think that's like what he's saying. Like, it feels like, you know, where we need to be. So I think it just kind of allows the singers to tell the stories in ways that they're they're comfortable doing and not feel like they're trying to, you know, sing sing some other band's music or, or, or be anything else. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I found myself, you know, an actual recording you're asking about really listening to everybody really closely as we were recording this stuff. Cause some of it is unique, you know, and there's a song where Michael Bearden is sitting right behind me as we're tracking it, playing, playing the piano. And, you know, we've never had anything like that in the studio. So, you know, there are a lot of moments I can remember and really specific moments on the record when I hear it back that I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, I remember hearing that and like seeing how everybody was reacting to stuff. So um, being there, you know, in the studio for, for us is, I think for any band is a really special place and, you know, just trying to use it, um, trying to use it well. It was, it was, it was a challenge, but as our first record, like I said, we've ever produced ourselves, I was really proud of what we came out with. So uh, before we, before we take off, what are you guys doing besides music? in this past year to keep yourself busy. Graham, are you sitting in your new space down there? I am, as a matter of fact. This, Tell this us a little bit a, about that. This was a garage stall five months ago, four months ago. Oh, nice. my goodness. Uh, Look at that. Look at yeah. that. So I added, added an apartment in the garage here. So I've been doing that. That's, that's, that's one big thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been writing music, record, recorded some music. Um, you know, catching up with the, catching up with the family um, has been wonderful, and so yeah, laying laying pretty low, low but but staying staying busy. Awesome, awesome. I've I've been uh, been able to play a little more music with my wife. My wife's a musician also, and she's uh, we have over the years kind of put the instruments in the closet when we get home, but this has given us a chance to play some music together. And I've got a five year old son, so I've been front and center with him and and i spend a ton of my time in the trout stream i live near some nice trout water so i'm fly fishing a lot and that's just that's my daily routine well you guys it's been a pleasure we appreciate your time and uh we hope to get you down to memphis at some point but good luck with the uh grammy nomination and all that you're doing and stay creative you know indeed indeed we'll see we'll see you on the other side real soon
Thank Absolutely. you so much for having us. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Woody Platt and Graham Sharp of Steep Canyon Rangers. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in Americana and Roots music. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.